So, Dad,、mm-hmm. I'm starting a podcast. What's that?、Uh, it's basically like a radio show, but it's on、okay. the internet. Okay. Make sure that、uh, that program doesn't contain controversial subjects and、uh, you're not impolite to people. Oh, definitely not, Dad. You know me. I'm never, <laughs> ever controversial or yeah, impolite. Yeah, yeah, okay. Yeah, you don't really believe me, do you? Oh, yeah. You don't. <laughs> Welcome to episode five of Polite Conversation. Today we'll be speaking to Ali Rizvi. He's a writer and he's got a book coming out this fall called The Atheist Muslim. Hi, Ali. Hello. Planning to、Hi. speak. For such a long time. We have, and I'm glad it's finally happening. Ali, you're one of、fun. those、uh, annoying people that can just do everything, are you? <laughs>、uh, well, you know what? I know there's a lot of things I can't do that I wish I could, but let's not get into those. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Peek into so, the closet.、Uh, so, how have you been? I've、things? been good. I've been good. How do you do? You like the weather? How's the weather? The weather, I mean, it's Canada, right? Can- and it's、yeah. February. It's lovely. It was、no. what? Cold weather alert this morning? I, I know. It, it got cold lit. Can, nobody talks about the weather more than Canadians. It's, I mean, it's just amazing. <laughs> But it, it's such a relevant topic. Sometimes I. I, I feel conscious that I'm talking about the weather too much, but then I realize <laughs> I actually mean to. It's not just small talk, where it's actually a very interesting topic right now. It's more interesting than a lot of other things going on. So,、um, <laughs> yeah, it, it has been pretty. I, I'm, yeah, like, I, yeah, so I mean, you know, Toronto. It's Toronto.、So. Right. And you grew up in Saudi, like me, where we didn't really have weather. You know, like it was sunny and dry. Every、uh-huh. single day. I, I know. It was, it was insane. So, you and I actually have a very similar sort of geographical resume in a sense that、um, the Saudi Arabia and, and you're originally from Pakistan too, right? That's right. Uh huh. So,、um, that's, and, and I came here, yeah, I, I came here around when I was in my 20s for the first time I came to North America. So, it's been,、uh, yeah, we've had a pretty similar trajectory, but you weren't in Riyadh, or were you? No, I was in Jeddah. You were in Jeddah, okay. I was、right. in Riyadh when I was very little, but yeah, I don't think we met at that time. <laughs> yeah, probably not. I, and the,、um, so yeah, you were in Jeddah. Was, so you were close to the,、uh, where it all happened, where it all started. Where it all happened? Yeah, Mecca and Medina. Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. Believe me, we would get so many like, visitors、uh-huh. from around the world that would just come and stay at our house. And I want my parents to take them like, for pilgrimage tours or whatever. Right. So the kids got dragged along often. <laughs> so many times I've been forced on Umrah. So yeah, fun. I've been, on Umrah, like, I've been on Umrah loads of times too, because I mean, we used to go there. But you know what's interesting is that. I had a similar experience when I was living in Buffalo, New York, because it's right at the Canadian border.、Mm-hmm. And I、Niagara、had all the. Niagara Falls? Yeah, and people would come <laughs> and visit. It wasn't just Niagara Falls, they'd come and visit to shop when the Canadian American dollar,、uh, the currency exchange rates were good. And, or if they had to fly out somewhere. Because if you fly out from Buffalo, it's a lot cheaper than if you fly、uh, yes. out from Toronto. 
And yeah, so you, and all you got to do is just drive there. So people would say, you know, oh, we're coming to visit you. I'm like, no, you're not. You're not coming to Buffalo. <laughs> yeah, no, just, I don't know why I thought of that. I'm sorry. <laughs> There'll be many angry people ready to jump down our throats. Oh, yeah. Say, That's a false equivalence. You can't do to, that. I know this has to be somehow related to the refugee thing. It has to. I know. It's got to be some angle. <laughs> of course. Uh, lots of racing, like in the Makkah. Um, so mm-hmm. we turned it into fun like me and my siblings we just like see who can run the fastest around the thing and uh-huh. that's how we'd pass our time there <laughs> no, no I, I i just used to pass it people used to take a uh, stereo we had um I, i'm so i guess i'm gonna uh, we had the walkman the sony walkman yeah i had a bunch of those and uh i mean i didn't, I didn't have one i just had one but um i i used to listen to tapes and people used to listen to yeah because people used to take the 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 things that you're supposed to narrate you know all the duas oh, and everything yeah, you're supposed yeah, to, yeah, yeah. when you so some people had earphones in and i i had it and i i remember actually got my um and the last time i went there was 91 <clears throat> and um I got uh, my copy of Megadeth's Countdown to Extinction and that album in 91. 91 was the year when all this amazing music came out, right? Like, I think you had the Black Album from Metallica, you had Megadeth's, uh, you know, this uh, Countdown to Extinction, you had like loads of great, all the grunge stuff, all the Seattle stuff exploded. Mm-hmm. Then. Right, yeah. So, uh, yeah, and I, I was listening to that. I remember I listened to that through uh, when we were running between Safa and Marwa. Yeah, yeah, I never thought of that. Damn, I should have thought of that. <laughs> yeah, no, it's uh, <laughs> but it, it was it was weird there because um, they I I had we had so many people who came up and um, they'd been robbed, you know. Yeah, and, uh, yeah. They'd just come up and they'd be crying and they're like, you know, I had and they, he had one of the you know those waist uh, pouch things yeah. that you know that you wear around your waist and the fanny sorry. packs. Yeah, that's it. Yeah. Fanny, fanny pack, right? Yeah, fanny packs. Yeah. Right. So and they'd have Very it. Very attractive have, look, always. But especially with the haram, the two towels. Right, the, the towels yeah. and the fanny pack. I mean, you <laughs> so can't everything. beat that. I know, I know. And it's no amazing. underwear. I bet a lot of people didn't know this, but you can't wear underwear underneath those towels. Uh, you know, honestly, that part I liked. I, I honestly, <laughs> the, the one thing that's great about Mecca is being able to go commando, just let the boys breathe. It's it's hot, you know. It's uh, anyway, let's not get into that. <laughs> probably. Well, no, actually, I wanted to take that opportunity to educate some some folks real quick because I need to ask you then, since you uh, guys brought it up. So it's not my fault. This is coming up. But I've always been curious. Coming up. Yeah, I've always been curious. No pun intended. <laughs> well, actually, uh, it's the reverse. It's going down. When when I was in the military, you know, typically right. the American military will consist of white, conservative, Christian people. And uh-huh. one of the derogatory references that we had to Saudi, Saudis or, or people who lived in Saudi Arabia was that they wore seven-day shitters. That's what we were always trained on, is that's what those things were called. Is that is that what you're kind of referring to? Because they would say that even then at that time, so this was, yeah, uh-huh. this was about the same time frame as you. It would have been early 90s. Nobody wore underwear, and the reason the, the clothes were designed like that was so when you were out in the desert, you could defecate and keep going about your business. And Is there any truth yeah, to yeah. that? 
Uh, you know, that, I, I think you, uh, the, uh, all I know about is the two towels. Apart from that, I just never, uh, I think that's, that's well beyond my um, <laughs> scope of knowledge. <laughs> uh, you've got, you've gone somewhere where I, I mean, I, I know what you're saying. Everything makes sense. I think of the Thobes. I think of the way those guys. That's what he's referring to. I think the Thobes, the long white uh, right. dress thing. Okay. Mm-hmm. <laughs> but they wear pants underneath that usually. Yeah, a lot of times they don't. It depends on how traditional they are. Oh, uh, really? I don't know. I've never peeked under those. <laughs> like, so, I, you haven't missed much, I don't think. But I think it's okay. <laughs> like the it's it's um it is fun. I remember we had thobes as well. Like I used to wear them. They were definitely very comfortable. I'd, I wore them with shorts and so on. I mean, it, it was fun with that. They were comfortable when it's hot. But um, I yeah, I don't know about the details and you know how it enables going to the bathroom or. Um, uh, uh, has been talking to us about going commando i mean how many podcasts does he go on and talk about only only in mecca only in mecca (laughs) that's right that's right only in the holiest of places yeah yeah so let's talk i I was reading an article that you wrote recently called the new uh, called the new center between the right's bigotry and the left's apologism Mm -hmm. i thought it was brilliant and much needed because this idea of us always calling out the left, which we must do, I understand, has, mm. I feel, turned into a new problem of like this truly empowered kind of far-right sympathizing atheist that, that's just uh, so happy that everyone's been so busy calling out the left all the time. Mm. And now they feel um, legitimized and they're coming after everyone, anyone of Muslim background. It's not just about critique of religion anymore mm. it's become about attacking majid nawaz mariam namazi um some people have even said that she like endorses rape or is fine with and they said the same thing to me is fine with rape because she's not anti-immigrant or anti-migrant i don't know how much of that stuff you get i, I get it i get it all the time the, the pro- one of the biggest problems is unwanted support and it's something similar that happened I think with uh, even with with feminism is oh it, yeah right you you had this you had this thing you know you had a couple of things a couple of people who were really a kind of I mean even people I know who are feminists were upset by you know these sort of like fringe voices um, totally distorting you know what they thought feminism should be about right. and then suddenly and screaming misogyny about everything uh, about about everything and then what happens is suddenly the pendulum swings the other way and you have these like misogynistic, those, uh, the MRA guys, right? Right. Jumping M- in. Men's right. Yeah. Is that, yeah. That's what they're called. I think I, I always get that acronym, but anyway, so, the, so these guys show up and the, and the funny thing is they're, they're always like whining and complaining and crying. They, they're pretty much the exact stereotype. Oh, they yeah. like painting women with. So they are social justice warriors. These anti-social justice right. warriors are social justice warriors themselves. <laughs> yeah. So, so that's what happens. I mean, you have this pendulum. I think this is very sort of pathognomonic of uh, of uh, Twitter and and Facebook and all of these social media mm-hmm. platforms. Is that you have the the pendulum swings the other way and suddenly it goes to the other extreme. And now what you have is yeah, you know, we need to call out the left. It's very important. And um, but suddenly you have uh, all of this. Uh, you know, you've got the refugee crisis. You've mm-hmm. got the xenophobia. Mm-hmm. Um, you've got you know what you call out a lot the anti-Muslim bigotry. And uh, you know, I've been talking about this for a very long time as well. I think both of us have. 
Um, and we've discussed it before too. So I, uh, yeah, I, I think that there's a lot of that. Um, I have noticed generally that the rest of the world isn't the most of the world that I know doesn't happen to be on Twitter. Mm-hmm. Um, so I, I think there's a, uh, we have a bit of a focusing illusion. I, I don't know if I'm that using that right. You know, you guys familiar with Daniel Kahneman and his the idea of the focusing illusion. It's like you know when you're in, if you're in a certain situation, you feel like that situation is a be all and end all of everything. You give it disproportionate importance while you're in it, or while you're, mm-hmm. uh, you know, or if it's a factor in your life, um, that's that you're, you're in the middle of a project. Like, for example, right now, you're going to think that that's the most important thing. And if it doesn't work out, then everything's sort of moot in a way. So we tend to somehow, I think a lot of people think that, you know, when you're on Twitter and you get really involved in all the back and forth with Twitter, you tend to think that that's the way the world is thinking. And um, I've I've just noticed that it's not. And yeah. the the thing with this, uh, the regressive leftists and now, you know, there's really just a handful of them that are very prominent, uh, like your uh, Glenn Greenwald and mm-hmm. um, Reza Aslan and, you know, the, the, you know, the, the, the usual characters. But I, I think the reason that they're doing this, the reason that they respond, I try to look at what they're reacting to. And what they're reacting to is the things that you've been talking about, the things that, you know, I've been talking about, um, or the stuff that Sam Harris or Majid Nawaz or uh, any of these people have been have, have been discussing. Those ideas are the ones that they're lashing out against. And uh, I, so when they react, I mean, you can do two things. You can either get caught up in the brouhaha and the back and forth and turn it into a sort of Jerry Springer show, or 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 like the the U.S. Uh, Republican race, I mean, same thing nowadays, uh, or. You can um, just continue doing the thing that uh, got them to react uh, because you must have been doing something right. So the more recently, that's kind of what I've been trying to do. And, and they'll, they'll still like peck at you. I mean, that CJ Whirlman you know, just, just keeps on showing, showing up <laughs> yeah, and just keeps on like, uh, like creeping up and saying something or another. And most of the time, he's very easy to ignore. Mm-hmm. Um, but I, I think it's important not necessarily look at what they're saying but why they're saying it and the reason they're saying it is uh because uh and then the reason that especially there's so much ad hominem so many so many accusations of bigotry and, and this and that especially from them coming towards us from them yeah right it's is it's because of this and i think the same thing uh the, the other way around a lot of times you know, oh, yeah. yeah. I mean, the people that are so happy to talk about Greenwald, Greenwalding uh-huh. are, you know, Greenwalding everybody else, except they're doing it from the right. It's just the very much the same stuff on either side and reasonable voices in the center, the, mm. the new center, as you call it, uh, just get drowned out between these two shrill, loud extremes, you know, of the, the, yeah. the left and the right. Well, and that's why that's why I was I loved your article as well, Ali. And that's what I want. I'm glad you hit on that, because as an outsider, someone looking into a lot of these discussions, that's what I see. And I see more as I've shifted away from my uh, Islam focus in my own other show is mm-hmm. uh, I will all I'm hearing are, you know, the the xenophobic bigot you know, anti-refugee crowd, and then the and then the Greenwald CJ crowd on the other side. But I've got this interesting position of being, you know, familiar with Ina yourself, Faisal, Miriam, 
Imad Habib, all these rational voices in the center. But mm-hmm. what I see in my observation is it's almost I watch you all working so hard to drive a progressive conversation. But it's like you're you're, you know, back in the old days with the cartoons with the firefighters who would, you know, put dump water on one fire, run across to the other barrel because that was on fire. Yeah, you know, I mean, and that's all I see. It, for me, that's what it feels like. You guys must be so frustrated having to do this and, and you know, fear-mongering works. So you guys are racing back and forth across the street to put these fires out, but over top of you, these these verbal grenades are being tossed consistently, and I don't see a whole lot of progress. I can only imagine how much, how frustrating that must be for someone like you who's trying to have that progressive conversation. Mm-hmm. Well, here's the thing. Like, I, I think that the, the only place where I'll disagree with you a little bit is I, I actually think that there is a lot of progress. I think the fact that this is happening, that there is a conversation with like, everything's polarized now. Right. right everything right. is like, you know, the, um, you know, there, so people are polarized. So that happens. I, I think of it as more of a symptom of something happening. I mean, whenever you have any, any kind of, uh, uh, any kind of change in thinking whenever people are sort of forced to step out their comfort zones and, and think differently, uh, there is always a very uh, sort of, uh, th- it causes a lot of aggression in people. It causes a pretty yeah. aggressive reaction. And, and that has happened uh, throughout history. Anybody who's ever come up with a new idea or something interesting is in the short term, it's generated a lot of uh, um, sort of noise, right? Mm. And opposition. So, and one one example I give is like, I ask I got asked a lot by some of my Muslim friends like you know why do you do this, uh, why do you uh, speak about this stuff so assertively, and uh, why you know why do you criticize Islam so assertively? And I, I tell them it's Sunnah. Like this is what <laughs> this is what Muhammad did. I mean he he didn't get chased out of Mecca for nothing. You know he, he had that woman who used to throw garbage on him every day. My he, dad loves to talk about that one. <laughs> right. That's yeah. Everybody does that. The, the two stories um, of Muhammad that I remember as a kid was the woman who threw garbage on him every day. And then he kept on he, and when she was sick one day, he went to check up on her anyway. And the other was garbage dumped on him that day. Right. Yeah. He's like, there's no garbage. So I should check on it. And it was a, it was a great testament to his character, which is kind of nice. I mean, that's nice of him to do. It's a little it's true. I mean, sure. Yeah, it's true. <laughs> and so, and then the other, the but thing you was know that what camel. discredits him is that whole child marrying stuff. <laughs> yeah, I, you know, I, and you know, we'll we'll get to that in a bit. But I, th- I think what I'm, yeah, you know, what I was trying to say was uh, that just generally, even with I give him the example of even when Islam came about, it was initially met with a lot of opposition. And anything, any new idea that came about was met with a lot of opposition initially in the short term. Like you know, Susan B. Anthony and all of the uh, all the, uh, the suffragists. You know, when they mm-hmm. came out, there were or the first women that went out in the workplace or the first woman who went to medical school was harassed. You know, she was called a whore and she was, right. uh, you know, for stepping out of the house and the very severe reactions. And eventually what happened with time is now, now it's, it's the norm mm-hmm. that that's how things are supposed to be. If you go against it, then, then you're an outcast. So I, the, when I, when I look at this uh, sort of like this big din around us, the, uh, all of the, the noise and all of the aggression from people and the reactions, I look at it as more of a symptom that waves are being made, mm-hmm. right? Yeah. That there's something that's happening. And I, I'm quite comfortable with that. I'm, I'm okay with it. So yeah, it doesn't, I agree. for me, it doesn't, you know, like back when I was growing up, whenever you know, if there was an article in the paper, you saw something on TV and you wanted to comment on it, 
you'd have to write in a letter. You have to find the address, write a letter, and then the editors there would choose which letters would actually contribute to the conversation or suit their political agenda, you know, depending on how cynically you want to look at it. And they'd publish those letters. And you didn't have, um, you know, every sort of uh, frustrated, angry person sitting uh, in their mom's basement, their underwear, you know, <laughs> writing YouTube comments, you know, blaming Obama for plane crashes and you know, things yeah. like that. You didn't, so you, you didn't have that. Everybody didn't have a voice. And uh, so that's why it is noisy when people are anonymous and when they can uh, just, they know that they can be heard and they can broadcast whatever they want to say to the entire world. They take the opportunity to sometimes bring out like whatever a lot of a lot more aggression comes out that way but you know i get used to it when it comes from like religious fundamentalists i just kind of expect it and it it just doesn't bother me that much Mm -hmm. but when it comes from you know quote-unquote humanists or atheists Mm -hmm. it really really disappoints me yeah. It's so irrational. That's the one that really is upsetting. For some reason, I can't uh, let that mm-hmm. slide. Like 300 hate tweets from atheists will like really affect me. No, I, I know. I hear you. And I, I get it all the time as well. I mean, I, I don't get the hate tweets that you do. And I, I like, I, I mean, you know, my, my wife, Alishba, I mean, you guys know her. Mm. Yeah. She's, um, when I look at the kind of things that she gets, like the responses she gets, they're completely, they're all sexual. Do you Everything. think it's because, like, we're women that we get harassed more? Like, do you really- absolutely, absolutely. I mean, there's no question. I'd, I'll get threats like, okay, you know, we're gonna kill you, or wait till you visit Pakistan next, or you know, <laughs> things like that, or you know, you said this about the prophet, you've forgotten your heritage, it's, you know, things like that. But with the the kind of stuff that uh, that you know, Alishba gets, or the, the kind of stuff I know a lot of other sort of ex-Muslim women have gotten, are just you know, I'm going to put this gun in your vagina and shoot you. And this is coming from somebody who's very, very pious and he's upset that you didn't, and he's threatening to put a gun in somebody's vagina. So there's a, um, it, it just takes on a really, really ugly uh, sort of sexual form that when it, when it happens to women, I, I think there's a lot of, there's, there's a reason for that. First of all, just the idea of women speaking up against something that is so, I mean, this is a tool. I mean, in, I know in, in in North America, being Muslim is an identity. In right. Muslim majority countries, being Muslim is a religion. Yeah, you don't uh, have to so, struggle against anyone to prove your identity as a Muslim. There, I guess. No, no, you don't. Um, and uh, so, you know, over there, it's it's used as that kind of tool. So when you have the people who are most oppressed by that political system, which is the women, um, and over here, they actually speak out about it and they actually criticize this sort of. A system that was, you know, all of these Abrahamic religions were essentially created to keep women down in a lot of ways. Right, but it's um, not just uh, people from the Abrahamic religions, is what I'm saying. Like, I got a comment from, mm-hmm. I believe, an atheist once who told me that I should be sterilized because even though I'm an ex Muslim, I'm from the same stock. Tribe. Yeah, and I can't be trusted to reproduce. Yeah, I, I don't see them as very different from uh, the, the religious people. I mean, no. the, I, I think that it, one of the one of the problems that's happened uh, with these movements, when these things become movements, is that instead of uh, atheism being against something, instead of it being against irrationality, against religion, against superstition, it's become it started standing for something. Mm-hmm. And I think that immediately 
excludes people. You wouldn't be for non-racism, and you're you're if you're, you're anti-racist, racism, yeah. you're against racism. Um, and I, I that does happen a lot with. Um, I think whenever you get fragmentation in these groups is when they become really big and they start standing for something. Well, just the anti-racist movement has become so toxic and disturbing. Like, mm-hmm. I hate to say it, but I've been told by fellow uh, people of color, you know, don't trust white people. Don't, you know, trust anyone that's trying to have any sort of friendship with you. And when I said, what the hell? Why? I was, you know, shouted at and told that I don't care about my people, that I don't know anything about my heritage. Otherwise, I would never trust white people. And I mean, just disgusting generalizations that I'm not in favor of in in any form. I'm told like it's racist to not like hip hop, like really silly things. Like remember once we tweeted about this article, I remember interacting with you Mm -hmm. where this uh, Muslim girl had written about not dating white guys, like just preemptively (laughs) dating white guys Uh, because she expects they'll never, uh, I don't know, understand her experience or whatever. Like it's kind of racist. (laughs) It's very racist, but they've like, you know, now they've they've redefined um, racism uh, the word is something that you can never be racist against white people and i was thinking uh, i like wow you know ask somebody who lived in the time of uh, under idi amin or you know in saudi arabia or at places like that about whether in, in even in pakistan the way that they well i mean it's weird this love-hate relationship yeah it's they, like an I- they, idolize them and also demon both of which are racist you know i i guess these these things happen i see them a lot i i think that there's just the, the most of the people who talk about it, uh, I don't think it gains a whole lot of prominence. Uh, but there is a lot of organizing happening, and it's not just your you seeing it. I mean, you know, there's a reason that Donald Trump, who I mean, Donald Trump is he's one guy who really knows how to recognize an audience and give them what they want. Yep, he wrote about it in his book, eighty seven, The Art you of the read Deal. His book. Yeah, I'm completely fascinated by him. Like it's just uh, he would recognize the audience, and he's like, oh, "I play to their fantasies. I figure out what they want, and then I play to their fantasies." And a little bit of exaggeration doesn't help. And he's, I guess, he's exaggerating when he's saying a little bit of exaggeration. But the um, so so what he'll do is, uh, you know, he did this with the the real estate community or the liberal sort of like the, uh, the Wall Street elite in. Uh, in uh, New York City, the financial capital of the world, and, and he really did very well there. He did it with The Apprentice, and he recognized the audience and gave them what they wanted. And now, you know, he's like, okay, I've got to run for the Republican nomination. Let's look at this audience. What do they want? Let's give it to them. But doesn't and that he gave seem it like them. a fluke, though? Like, he's said the most outrageous things. Like, I can't believe that that was calculated risk. It- I I actually, I, I don't know. I, I have a strong feeling that it was calculated. I think he's uh, he's one of the only people who... Because he is very good at honestly just telling what an audience is thinking and being able to give it to them. He's shown that that's a one thing he's been successful at, in, and he's made billions of dollars off of it. And uh, I, I think he just looked at the audience and he's like, these guys, okay, they hate immigrants, they hate Mexicans, nobody's talking about it. And and the other thing is that he's he's a he's been a liberal for a very long time. Right. He's been a liberal. Uh, oh yeah. Oh yeah. Oh, yeah. He's he's been uh, he was pro-choice, pro-single payer health care. He's pro like uh, he's uh, he's on the same position. He has the same position as Bernie Sanders when it comes to all the trade, uh, all, all, the, all the treaties and so on. And then uh, he's he's very good friends with his daughter and Hillary Clinton's daughter. Are really, really good friends, you know, close friends in both Manhattan. Uh, uh, in, uh, in both Manhattan, he used to play golf with Bill Clinton and so on. So there, there's a lot of 
a connection there. And when you're that liberal and you want to prove to people that you are you have actually switched. You can't just say, well, I was pro-choice before, I'm pro-life now. Nobody's going to believe you. Mm-hmm. But you got to say is when everybody else is like, we got to do something about immigration. Immigration. He's like, well, we're going to build a wall and make Mexico pay for it. <laughs> and then all the other Republicans are like, whoa, okay. You know, it's like, we, you know, we got to do something. We have to screen our immigrants they, better. They look like they cringe when he speaks. That's, that's exactly how he gets his credibility as a conservative. You know, because imagine you're you're the Republican Party and everyone's kind of saying oh, waterboarding, it might be tor- like eh, it could be torture. And I think we should bring it back. I think we should discuss this. And then when they ask him, he's like, yeah, I should, I'll bring it back waterboarding and I'll bring it back a lot worse than waterboarding. <laughs> and when he says that, then there's no doubt in anybody's mind. And, and he, even the rest of the Republicans are shocked that this guy's way to the right of us. So yeah. you want to erase a past liberal record, that is a really good way to do it. So I, I think he is, um, I think it is pretty calculated. And I kind of feel like this will be a huge flip-flop in the general election hmm. when it happens. But uh, And he'll probably get away with it because he's already done enough. I mean, Because yep. he's so crazy, that's why. Yes. <laughs> but, but, but he that- has like, uh, he has gotten this crowd of... Uh, you know, all of these uh, frustrated people um, sitting yeah. at their keyboards yep. um, that are sort of bigoted, and many of them are sort of Christian fundamentalists. Others are atheist fundamentalists. Hashtag. Oh yeah, there is. There's, That's there's, so funny. <laughs> he among Muslim, among Mexican Republicans or uh, Hispanic Americans overall, uh-huh. among them, the the ones that are Republican, he's leading. Mm-hmm. He's still he's got the lead among them too. So you say bigot, like I mean, I, I feel that to some extent that word just has been tainted by the you know Islamophobia shriekers so much that mm-hmm. it's almost never believed. Like I remember, like talking about how don't don't wear it out, you know, because we'll never recognize be able to recognize actual instances of bigotry. And mm. now we're in that situation when you point out an actual instance of bigotry. You're shouted down for being a regressive or an Islamist apologist because apparently bigotry doesn't exist. Yeah, I think there's just a lot of uh, there's too many people out there speaking at the same time. Yeah, <laughs> I can't. So I've been called. Sorry, I, go on. No, I think the word is meaningless. I, I don't bother with it anymore. I just don't like the. I get called a bigot so many times. Yeah, me too. Islamophobe is a is a very very obvious misnomer. Yeah. Um, like there is such a thing as a bigot, but I I, I don't know. Like I, I just don't think uh, the word has. I, I don't think a lot of people take it very seriously anymore. I think it's like different societies have their different communities have different things that they're sensitive about. Like for instance, you know, Muslims uh, for the longest time were very sort of rightly concerned that uh, any criticism of Israel gets them called anti-Semitic, mm-hmm. and it's something that became overused. And eventually, people, a lot of people stopped taking it seriously because, you know, people just anytime you said something about something you didn't like about what Israel, the Israeli government was doing, like, say, settlement expansion or, you know, whatever it is that you weren't comfortable with, and they'd call you anti-Semitic. And um, it, it just lost its term. And it's a very important term because there's a lot of real, genuine anti-Semitism. Um, and a lot of there's a resurgence of it actually right now happening in Europe. Then you know same, but then the same Muslims did did that with the Islamophobe word. Anytime you criticize anything about Islam, started calling you an Islamophobe. They're all kind of going against each other. It's sort of very tribalistic, and you can see it. I, reason I was talking about Trump earlier is that I think that it's it's very easy to play to it now because everything is it's so kind of 
stupid and so basal and so like fundamentally tribal. The demagoguery has never been easier. It's right. just so easy to go out there and collect a whole bunch of nut jobs around. You know, you don't need credibility. Yay, internet. <laughs> yeah. I don't know. I, I came here. Um, I had a big picture in mind. I came here from Saudi Arabia like you, Ina. And um, I, there, there, was, there were bigger fish to pry so to speak. I mean, you, you came from there and there were very big issues, right? There, I mean, there, there was genuine oppression. There's genuine oh, yeah, lack absolutely. of freedom of speech. There's everything. And then, you know, when we come here, uh, there's all this uh, discussion about just really subtle forms of sexism, subtle forms of racism, whether we should date white people or whether it's, yeah, it, it, you know, these kinds of discussions. And it's very easy to caught up, get caught up in them. Mm-hmm. Um, and I actually, I don't know. I think they're, you know, first world problems. I think they're like a first world problem equivalent of yeah. I think the things, a lot of know? the cultural appropriation stuff is also just that. Like, there's a yeah. hashtag movement to take back the bindi, and I mean, come on, seriously. Like, uh, one thing that they could do if we, we could paint uh, converting to Islam as a cultural appropriation. Thing. We should really, we should really work on that. <laughs> <I know. laughs> there, there's so many things That's that awesome. you know we could do using our our background that, that we don't like. And converting to Islam, for instance, could be a form of cultural appropriation you could just call you a racist for doing that absolutely right you that's 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 you know that's one thing there's a a lot of things you can do i think (laughs) yeah i think manipulate the situation movement started take back the the crescent yeah take back the crescent don't let people convert no this only belongs (laughs) in it good Right. Uh, yeah, I don't. I don't know about a lot of these. Uh, sort of, a lot of it is very uh, speculative, and I, it's it is easy to get caught up in it if you surf the blogs and everything a lot. I just try not to get caught up in it too much. I, I've I've seen that the voices that actually make sense eventually um, get to the places they need to be. Um, you know, since Paris and since San Bernardino, I haven't seen Reza Aslan being called on a lot of channels to talk about. Yeah, um, I have Islam. That actually, you're right. He hasn't been, and I haven't seen uh, Dean uh, Obedullah. Or Ob- yeah, yeah, yeah. He, that guy. He was actually tweeting. He's like, you know, if you want moderate Muslims, and we've been begging these guys to let us on, but you know, they're not letting us on. This is after Paris, and I was reading that because you know they they'd call him on all the time. He works for CNN. Why um, do they? Why do they call upon such cringeworthy people? Well, see, they used to. And since then, since Paris and since San Bernardino, the people who've been on, um, for example, Adderson Cooper are Majid Dawaz. Mm-hmm. He's been there many times. So they found a, a reasonable voice. Well, I don't know. Though. I don't know how much that will do for ratings or like, don't people like to hear from like uh, crazy denialists and apologists so that they can shake their fists sing angrily at the TV? To, I, to an extent, I don't think they shake their fists. You know, when Reza Aslan went up after the whole Ben Affleck, uh, Bill Maher thing. No, I can't tell you how many of my, like, you know, poor, sweet, liberal white friends were, like, completely, like, promoting Reza Aslan just because he, like, exactly. took yeah. down a Fox News reporter. Like, come right. on. Right. So, I mean, they weren't they weren't angry at him. But the problem is when the after Paris happened, after San Bernardino happened, and after you've had this dialogue, and after Bill Maher has been going after it, and... Uh, you know, these things, these conversations have become sort of more mainstream among liberals as well. Mm-hmm. Since this has happened, 
I've seen more of Majid on TV. I've seen yeah. more of Usra on TV. I'm, I'm noticing that, you know, my friends and people I know, like they're showing up, like I'm, I'm sitting there watching TV and they're just showing up now. Mm-hmm. And it's, uh, I, to me, that's a good sign. That's like the opposite of frustrating. I, I, I think it's, it's, uh, they're realizing that there is a sort of, uh, it's a slow realization. It's still it's in the stages slow. of, yeah. Right, I mean, I, when I saw you on, uh, on TVO, that was very exciting for me. Yeah, that was fun. I mean, that was, uh, uh, and I was, I was very happy to be called on there. I thought it was a great show. You know, like yeah, the, all I mean, the panelists. I normally get frustrated with Canadian uh, liberal media when it comes mm-hmm. to their portrayal of Islam, but that was one time that I was glad that they had a representative that uh, wasn't an apologist. You know, otherwise mm-hmm. they'll have these so-called liberal Muslims or people from Muslim background, but they're complete apologists for. Or, you know, this uh, Niqab lady, Zanera Ishaq. Yeah. She's like being painted as a total hero, like going against her family and donning the niqab and people were embarrassed of her. Oh, come on. You think you wouldn't be embarrassed if you, your family member like joined the Westboro Baptist Church? <laughs> I know. Yeah. That, it's, I think we end up making these people heroes a lot, a lot of times. Like, you know, we, we do that. And this is, I think one, one of the places where I remember you had, a, you and I had a disagreement as well, right? Grr, with, the, yes. with the thing. Yes. That's okay. It's fr- no, no, uh, I, know, my, I, know, I get it. I get you know, who's uh, the uh, Alishba? Actually, my, my wife, she's with you on this. So <laughs> even my mother, who's uh, who's a, uh, and my mother is actually still, you know, she's a believer. She's a liberal Muslim. Uh, she also agrees with oh, you. Many, and believers, many liberal Muslims that are completely anti-Nikab because yeah. they left behind this stuff. They don't want to come here and then also see it getting special accommodations to the extent where the federal government has to like give them, uh, you know, mm-hmm. uh, a special allowance to be in court with their face covered. It's just ridiculous. I mean, I'm not uh, for total bans either. I remember that was your point where you didn't yeah. want to make a martyr out of them, right? It gives right. a point to scream about that they're being discriminated against. I get that completely. That's why I think partial baby steps are good, as in, you know, creating one law for everyone. If you can't right. wear balaclava to the bank or in court, if you can't wear your KKK hood in court, then sorry, you can't wear mm-hmm. your woman-hating burqa in court either. Yeah, I, I mean, my my I, my position isn't that much different from yours in the mm-hmm. sense that I think when it comes to banks or places where you need security, even on public transport mm-hmm. or in the certain forms of public transport, if you're wearing a niqab and you're getting on, or if you're wearing a niqab and you're going into a bank, you have to be identified mm-hmm. and you have to be frisked. I mean, you, you've got to go through that because uh, nobody can really see what you're about. They can't right. even tell if you're... A few years ago, there was a video released from, I think, was it Montreal or Ottawa? I can't remember where, but, uh, you know, in the airport, they were just allowing, like, niqab women through because I guess they didn't want to go through the awkwardness of, or whatever, it didn't matter to them, I don't know. Mm-hmm. They were just letting them through. That's it. Yeah, it's, uh, so I wouldn't advocate for that at all. But I, I think that, you know, once they've been identified, once you know that they're safe, and then they go in, and you, they're deemed to be safe, uh, then after that, like, I don't really care what they do. So that's really the only place uh, where I differ. 
but mm-hmm. but isn't it scary anyways? Like, why should I be having to see this black cloaked woman in the airport? It's already scary. Uh, it can Even be. if she's been yeah. deemed to be safe, someone's checked her, but like she's just shrouded. Like, I don't know. The airport, you're just too nice about this. I, I no, I'm. You know what? I I abhor it. I absolutely. I cannot stand the whole Nikob thing. I think it's terrible. I, I can't tell you how much I, I think it's, yeah, I really, really, I think it's, I think it's, I, this is a terrible thing. And it's, it is icky. I understand that, you know, when you see that it's disturbing, especially when there's like a guy walking around. I've seen, when you see kids, that's the worst. When you oh, see that is just like so six, upsetting seven. to me. If there was a ban on, on, on the niqab, an all out ban, like not just like, I, I, I think it should be regulated. But if there was a ban, I think it should be on putting it on kids. So, yeah, I, I do not like it. Um, at the same time, I think that there's a lot of things uh, if, that if we sort of just subjectively say, OK, this is scary or this is demeaning to women or this is, you know, those and those are all good reasons. I'm not saying they're bad. reasons. No, but I'm not just saying like in every situation, just mm-hmm. for the airport or for the bank or for the co- court, mm-hmm. uh, these places, I think. Is a good I, place to start, right? I, I, yeah, that's it, it. Is a good place to start, but I think that you know, once you've gone in, you've gone through the security, you're deemed to be safe. You go out, and if you want to cover your face after that, I don't see any point in making them, or forcing them not to, when that's something they really want to do. But I think what everybody. If I wanted to go in the airport in my KKK outfit. <laughs> you know what? I think that that would be cleaners right now, but <laughs> right. <laughs> For anyone listening, enough people accuse me of being a white supremacist. That was a joke. Uh, yeah, <laughs> I was just I was reminded of the uh, the Dave Chappelle. Oh yeah, I've seen yeah, that one. I just saw him. I saw him in Toronto. Here. He was uh, how about like, ball gag? What uh-huh. if I wanted to wear that in the airport? I know this is this is you're making me say really insane things, but <laughs> I actually think, and here it is, and let's say it. I I think it's fine. I think that once you've been. You've gone through security. You're safe. If you want to walk around with a ball gag in your mouth and just looking like that, then it's just something that you have to deal with. I mean, people are gonna, but people are gonna do whatever they. They're gonna say things to you. They're gonna look at you weird and everything. And if you're prepared for that, can you blame them? You. No, I don't blame them at all. Okay. I think if somebody's walking around with a niqab and in the airport and they're you know they're wearing that whole the 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 whole garbage bag thing on them. And people are looking at them and, uh, you know, they have certain reactions to them. I think that goes with the territory. Mm-hmm. There's a million things I could do and I could go out on the street and I have the right to do them and I can go looking uh, absolutely batshit crazy in, in a whole bunch of different ways. <laughs> and I would get the reaction that would come with the territory. I'd, I'd have to expect it. This is why you guys get so much hate me. mail sometimes. You realize that, right? Why? I can see some keyboard warrior hearing you all say that, even though you are more intimately impacted by it like like just listening to your your subtle differences in the niqab Ina, it uh-huh. sounds it sounds more of an emotional reaction not that that's a negative it's just it's more raw for you and it makes sense right. because well, you're, I'm a woman. you're exactly yeah, and, and, and ali is more ali is averse to it but he's more rationally averse to it so i can just see some keyboard warrior here in this conversation and and you know just ready to pound on the keyboard because of these, the the vernacular that you're choosing to use, kind of like our last episode, somebody right, like somebody like that, you know, images on purpose because I think 
for a reason mm-hmm. that they're comparable, like they're provocative in a similar mm-hmm. way, at least I believe. I mean, okay, so you think that I should be allowed to walk around with a ball gag or with my KKK hood, but yeah. I don't think that airport security would allow me. They wouldn't. And I, I would, I, and again, like I would just, here's the thing, like it's a general principle. I mean, we can go into examples and talk about ball gags and cobs and all that <laughs> stuff. But I, I just think that if there's somebody, if you want to go out, and this is a libertarian thing for me. I, I just think that if you want to go out and you want to say what you want to say, you want to do what you want to do, as long as you're not physically, uh, you know, impeding anybody else's um, presence or their life or, you know, what they're doing, uh, you're not getting in their way. I think you should be able to do it. If you, whatever reaction that's going to get, that's on you. You're going to have to deal with it. Nobody should be allowed to and harass again, you. That's nothing. not an endorsement for harassing people in the cause. Absolutely not. Yeah, no, I, I don't. I don't. I don't think people should be harassed for wearing anything they want to. People should be able to wear whatever they want. Now, once that happens, I, I think that that has two advantages. First of all, it keeps you on the high ground. It lets you. You know, it actually tells you, okay, we do believe in freedom of expression. We do believe in, you know, the liberty of every person to be whoever they want to do, be, have the freedom, like freedom of choice also means a freedom to make stupid choices. So, I, I mean, I can't make my stupid choices because they'll stop me. Cause no, and I, I disagree with that. I disagree. I'm, I'm not, uh, this is not an endorsement of Pearson International. I like, you know, their, <laughs> their, their partiality to the niqab versus other ludicrous outfits. You know, there, there is, you know that's not. I mean, I'm not uh, speaking on their behalf. I'm just saying, in general, just my point of view on this is right. That but now that we're in a situation that they do have a partiality, how how do we deal with that? Do we let the one party have a special accommodation because they can have it? No, we don't. And that's where I, I agree with you on that. I agree with you on that. If you're not going to allow, if there's somebody wants to. Um, you know, the, the reason I'm saying this is that if somebody is allowed to wear a niqab and if somebody else wants to go in, in, in a KKK outfit, they should be able to. But if you're not going to have, uh, you know, people with passive strainers on their heads or mm-hmm. people walking around in Batman costumes, and if that's going to be an issue for someone taking the oath, then yes, uh, it shouldn't apply to the niqab either. It's it's like that Kirpan controversy, right? The Sikhs and... Yeah, and, and I actually the, uh, the kirpan a little bit comparable. The, the turban I don't because it's not imposing on other people. It's not mm-hmm. sexist. But the kirpan is the dagger, right? And if, right. They, if they demand a religious privilege to carry it into school, I know some people say it's, it's some people say that it's okay if it's blunted or whatever. Or if there's no blade, fine. If you remove the blade entirely, then whatever. It's just a case. But. Mm-hmm. If, even if it's blunted, you shouldn't be allowed to carry a dagger in school if you're a kid. Yeah, I, I don't think we should have. Uh, yeah, no, I, I think I think I think just religious accommodations overall are ridiculous. Yep. Yeah, I, you know, we, we were talking. I was listening to your your podcast with uh, the the journalist from the gentleman from Golden Mail mm-hmm. earlier today. Yeah, and uh, one of the things you talked about was mockery, right? And, mm-hmm. uh, and there's there's this idea that okay, the kirpan or the the cob and everything if we if we say that okay this is just religious stuff it's just it doesn't mean anything it's just superstitious and you know we shouldn't accommodate for it you know is that a point or is that disrespectful and i i think that uh i don't i don't actually i mean i think it is disrespectful to people they're going to feel disrespected by it but i don't think it's such a big deal 
uh, when it comes to having the same, you know, the one law for all. I mean, I can see why the federal government would have a problem. I wasn't there are a lot of there are a lot of twisted, crazy people out there. Those are the people we're talking about. I know. In the Globe and Mail, again, that's the same publication from uh, the gentleman that I interviewed about Charlie Hebdo. Right. They published so many pieces on the niqab that were painful, painful to me mm-hmm. as someone who's lived under a theocracy. So, yeah, so it's not just the crazy, twisted people. I know. I mean, it's the, it, this becomes a, a mainstream thing. It becomes a huge, it just empowers uh, the wrong people. And I, I don't think it's such a, you know, just allowing people to do what they want to do and live the way they want. I mean, that's what we do. That's I what, get it. But I mean, yeah. that's imposing on other people. When it starts to cross that line, that's when I have a problem. I would never, ever have a problem with a hijab. But the niqab, again, is just asking for a privilege that other people don't get. And that's where it gets unfair. There is no law that's going to allow people with ball gags or hoods or Mm -hmm. whatever. So the truth of the matter is, if it's not allowed for one, then even you don't agree Right. No, it's if yeah. it's not. No, I, I think it should be all or none. I mean, what I'm talking about is I, I don't think there should be a niqab ban, but I don't think there should be a ball gag ban either. I There's love this conversation. This is the best podcast. Huh? <laughs> this is the best one ever. No, if there's a niqab, then a ball gag as well. No ball gag, no niqab. That's, yeah. <laughs> that's the episode title right there. <laughs> and, well. Um, yeah, I mean, no one's really tried to go in and take their citizenship oath wearing a ball gag. Like, mm-hmm. I wish they would. Oh, we've got we've got some plans. I think. Yes, oh, so. your wife is gonna please do something fun. The, I mean, there's a lot of a you know, the, it is a debate, and it's a good debate. I think that there is like I certainly can see what the other side says. And I think this is one of the problems with the discourse in general is that you have um, a, you know if you if you don't agree with the other side if you if you don't agree with what the other side's saying then you suddenly become there's something bad about you as a person you're <laughs> malevolent or you're an asshole and I, I actually even with the debates like abortion you know like I, I uh, you know I I'm a hundred percent pro-choice right I, I've always been. You know, I don't think that that's going to change. But, you know, when people come up to me and they, they, when I meet somebody who's pro-life and they think that, you know, life begins at conception, it's not something that I don't think it's, I don't, I don't think it's a disrespectable, you know, I don't think that it's completely, completely that, okay, if, if they think that, that they're, then they're insane. I, I think it's crazy to force people to have abortions or to not have abortions and to but give birth. But that's usually what the pro-life position is, isn't it? Right. That's that's the problem with it. But I still, the, when I look at the, the the rationale behind it, right, it's uh, it's something I can argue with. Like same-sex marriage, for instance, I don't think that the other side has any good argument. I think it's it, it's just, it's like the flat earth thing. I mean, there's mm-hmm. no good argument on the other side that makes sense to me. But things like the death penalty, Right. Mm-hmm. Things like um, abortion, things, uh, you know, some of these things are, I think, they're worthy of discussion without necessarily saying that, OK, this person, he believes in the death penalty. So we should. That means that he's just, you know, he hates people. He wants to kill people. Mm-hmm. I don't think that's necessarily true. I think there's a lot of people who believe in the death penalty. And, uh, you know, there's, there's a lot of us who, you know, if there were certain crimes that were done to our loved ones. Yeah. You know, right. we would certainly sympathize with it and you can respect the position that they're coming from i think with abortion though the thing that trumps everything is the autonomy of the woman that's carrying right and that's what people fail 
to see, and mm-hmm. that be- then becomes an issue. No, I, I agree with you on. I completely like, again, like don't get me wrong. I'm 100 in line with you on this. I mean, this is even like the Nakab thing for me. It's not even a question. All I'm saying is like you know when somebody else comes up and they say something like you know well it's not a fetus, it's a baby. Supposing mm-hmm. they make that claim. I, I can see merit in that claim. I know, know that when babies, you know, when, when it's kicking, people don't say, oh, my fetus is kicking. Mm-hmm. They say, oh, the baby's kicking, mm-hmm. or the baby's coming, the baby's seven weeks. So, you know, they, they speak that way. It's in the language. So we do think that way. And that line, you know, where you draw it, so that debate, I think it's a legitimate debate to have. I'm on the same side as you when it comes to it. But I just, I'm, I mean, I'm using the abortion thing as an example mm-hmm. for a bigger point is that uh, just because somebody disagrees with you on something or holds a different position from us on something, it doesn't mean that they're coming at it from a malevolent position. Right, Right. and I just think even just generally that that more productive conversations happen when you try not to just shut the other person down. Like you saw Mm -hmm. in my last uh, podcast with... John Semley. I didn't agree with him very much at all, but yeah. I think we had a very civil-ish discussion. Like, I didn't, at least I didn't try to name call and shut him down. I disagree with him on everything, but I think the fact that I didn't immediately write him off as, oh my goodness, he thinks that, that's what allowed us to have that conversation. You even told him that, you, you know, I know you're coming from a good place. Mm-hmm. I know that your heart's in the, and you said that in your, and what I think is one of the most iconic pieces of writing um, ever, and I think it'll eventually, you know, when something comes out of this, uh, this whole, everything that we're trying to do, it'll be held up as, you know, one of the seminal parts of this entire movement is that letter that you wrote to Ben Affleck. Um, Thank you. It is, um, and you know, in that you actually wrote, you said the same thing, and you said, that "I know you're coming from a good place. I know you're well intentioned." That is, that is one thing about a lot of the, you know, what we call the regressive left now, mm-hmm. is that uh, many of them are well intentioned. Some of them are just they are devious. Mm-hmm. The ones that we're talking, I mean, the the ones that are sort of deliberately dishonest, but they're a minority. You're mm-hmm. Greenwald, and you know, your uh, C.J. Worldmans and all these guys. I mean, they're minorities. Mm-hmm. They're not um, mainstream, but the, most of them who do this kind of thing, like Fred Zakaria or like mm-hmm. um, Justin Trudeau, mm-hmm. um, you know, these are very well intentioned people who have very good hearts yeah. and they want to do the right thing and uh, they, they i actually believe in my experience and i i think that it was sort of in your last podcast we could also see this that you know when you actually bring up these points with them a lot of them just haven't been exposed they haven't been exposed to that's what i was saying about the new center mm-hmm. and the people who've come here from these backgrounds and they're liberals but they feel a loss of kinship with their uh, Western liberal counterparts who they feel betrayed by. And a lot of their Western liberal counterparts aren't aware of this because here they look at uh, the Muslims or they look at Islam as a minority. They're like, this is a minority and a Greek minority that must be protected, which is a, which is a fundamental sort of, uh, you know, principle of liberalism is that you, you know, protect the, the, the voices, the minority voices. And the thing is that the same, the beliefs of uh, many of the same minorities, the same values that they hold, a lot of those values are used in Muslim-majority countries as tools of oppression, mm-hmm. right. as ways to hold down, to subjugate women, to to censor people, to oppress them, to flog them. Mm-hmm. If they just go out and start a website that's innovative in political thought or whatever it is. That's the thing. <laughs> so, There's no anti-their-own right that they support our right. 
the Muslim right. 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 And so they don't they, realize that. Yeah, exactly. And and that empowers the the um, sort of like the Saudi government and all of these fundamentalists over there because you know they they're actually going off of the protection that people get here. The same beliefs mm-hmm. they, they end up protecting illiberal beliefs mm-hmm. right. because of liberal principles or because they have a liberal principle that we have to protect minorities Mm -hmm. so there's a um i don't think that they realize it a lot because i don't think that they've really been exposed to this idea that there is this other view you know there are there are also liberals who are uh being you know there's political islam isn't just a reaction Mm -hmm. to this and you know they're, they're sort of associating western oppression you know with liberal principles it's very assuming uh self-centered Right. It is. It is kind of self-centered and it's not, I don't, I don't think it's intentional in most cases. Mm-hmm. So, um, and in the few that it is, it can be pretty, uh, yeah, it can be pretty bad. So, uh, thank you so much, Ali, for taking mm-hmm. the time out today and, uh, chatting with us. Yes, Ali. Yeah, thank, thank you for having me. We've wanted to chat with you for so long. I know I've wanted to chat. We've always talked about this on Twitter about how we need to uh, yeah. get a conversation going between me and you, but I never really had a home for my conversations. So <laughs> I like this. This is good. Like you've got a great podcast going. It's excellent. I just hope you know. This just uh, I hope YouTube doesn't take it down again. I hope it's been <laughs> it's been banned twice from YouTube, and uh, yeah, that's okay. So, we got our work around now. Yeah, now yeah. it's got SoundCloud, but it's just been so like unstable, right? Like we can't right. have one home for it. Everything is kind of scattered. We're just trying to gather it all together in one place and watch. Once we do, someone will do something that will be banned from somewhere else. <laughs> oh well. But yeah, it was lovely chatting Sunnah. with you. Yeah. <laughs> Sunnah, yeah. definitely. Sunnah, getting banned. <laughs> getting banned, just like Mo. Uh, he came back and he smashed the idols, and we've never done anything that bad. All we've done is like just put up podcasts, right? We're metaphorically smashing their idols. Oh, deep, deep. That's Yeah, that's good. But so. yeah, tell us about your book quickly before you go. Yeah, my book is called uh, The Atheist Muslim. It's a, a journey from religion to reason. And it's uh, being published by St. Martin's Press, and it's coming out worldwide in November, as far as I know, right now. And it's uh, it's pretty much done, and you know we're just going through the edits of it. I'm I'm a lot more articulate when I write, so I hope that it really and it really is the main reason that I wrote it is uh, because I get messages like I know I know you do as well as from people from Saudi Arabia, Bangladesh, Malaysia, Indonesia, Egypt, uh, you know, everywhere. Like Muslims or ex-Muslims who are sort of closeted and Mm -hmm. they don't really have a voice. Many of them are persecuted. Many of them had friends who died, like the bloggers in Bangladesh or Mm -hmm. like Raif, who, you know, he's a really good friend of mine. I know, I think you you guys know him too. Um, So there's a, I hear from these people all the time and they don't really have a voice. And yeah. someone has to speak for him. And I think that the fact that we're able to do that now is a privilege. And Definitely. it's, you know, it's a, a, I just feel like we should use our voice to do that. And that's what this book is about. Yeah, it's so important to speak for the voices that are crushed mm-hmm. over there under religious rule. Mm-hmm. And um, yeah, thank you so much for doing that. Thank you. Thank you for having me. Okay, take care. Bye bye. <laughs>